This is the Sideline Dissident Podcast, coming to you from YouTube, iTunes, Facebook, SoundCloud, Spreaker. Follow me on Twitter, at the Brad Whitaker. I am the Brad Whitaker. Have a really good one for you today. I say that every day, but this time I'm actually not lying. A really good one. And, uh, look, the Golden State Warriors yesterday, uh, they lost in double overtime, uh, 132 to 127, and of course, Warriors lost their third game of the season, uh, it's early December, everyone in the sports world is losing their minds, not because the Warriors lost, not really because the Rockets won, although everyone seems to be obsessed with James Harden right now, uh, and, and there's reason to be. He played very well last night. But everyone's really upset because Charles Barkley, after the game, said the Warriors play little girly basketball. Oh, gosh. Of course, after this, Chuck has been on PC Watch because we live in a world that doesn't seem to understand what intent is. I, and I'm disappointed because I really thought... Charles Barkley is the only human being alive that nowadays that can get away with being politically incorrect. I really believe that. But uh, last night showed that that's not the case. But I'm not going to talk about Barkley. Yeah, he could have used a better word, but I think we all know what he meant. Barkley was saying the Warriors are not a very physical team. And if you watch them play, if you watch them play last year, they weren't the most physical team in the NBA. That's not... I'm not going to break any Warriors fans' hearts by saying that. They watch this team play every day. They know it's not a physical basketball team. They don't have much size, and they lost a lot of depth in the offseason. Their starting center, Zaza Pachulia, he started at center last night. You know how much he played? He played for eight minutes. Let me remind you... This was a game that went to double overtime. There were six periods of basketball last night between the Warriors and Rockets. And their starting center, Zaza Pachulia, played for only eight of those minutes. Okay. <laughs> we found out last year from the Cavs what the recipe is for beating the Warriors. And I, I, I still think it's the recipe this year. The recipe is you have to play overly physical, and you have to keep Golden State from shooting higher than 37% from above uh, the three-point arc as a team, uh, as a whole. Uh, But even then, you still might not beat the Warriors. You have to be physical, keep them from shooting above 37%, and even then, you still might be lucky to win that game. Both of them need to go right if you have any chance at beating Skull beating Golden State, and what happened last night, I mean, the Rockets, they're a physical team, and they embraced it, Uh, as you saw by Chuck's comments, uh, the Warriors didn't step up to that physicality, they have one physical player, Draymond Green, who is undersized for a big man, he plays much bigger than he actually is, but the fact of the matter is, the Warriors don't have a lot of tall, big guys, and the players that they do have are just too young to really make a huge impact at least at this point in the season. But, look, Golden State fans 
should not freak out, especially about the Houston Rockets and James Harden. Now, this is a piece that is going to talk about a little bit of two things. I'm going to talk about the Warriors, I'm going to talk about the Rockets, and the media's obsession with Houston right now, particularly James Harden. Something you have to understand. The Golden State Warriors last night, you know what they shot from three as a team? Like I said, you have to keep Golden State under 37% to beat them. That's what I think the number is. The Warriors last night shot 27.3% from beyond the arc. And it still took double overtime for the Houston Rockets to beat them. Look, the Rockets are a 12-7 team. I'm not saying they're a bad team. But I understand it's really easy to get excited. And James Harden is a lot of fun to watch. Had another triple-double last night. 29 points, 15 rebounds, and 13 assists. Although, he did play 16 periods of basketball. But freaking out about the Rockets right now, as ESPN has been doing, and you read Deadspin, uh, yeah, they, they love Houston now. They're the best team in the NBA, according to Deadspin. Uh... This is what I call Russell Westbrook Syndrome. If you've heard my past podcast, you know uh, I'm not the biggest fan of Russell Westbrook. I love watching him play. It's a ton of fun to watch. But what's happening here at the Houston Rockets is this is Russell Westbrook Syndrome with an inferior head coach. Mike D'Antoni is an offensive-minded head coach. We've known that forever, back from his days uh, with the Phoenix Suns, and he had some pretty good teams that uh, did amazing things offensively, a lot like the Warriors uh, did, but uh, they could never play defense. Luckily, this Houston team has a lot of physical players that can kind of make up that void, and that's part of the reason I think they're 12-7 and right now. But if you watched that game last night, great game between the Rockets and Warriors, had to stay up late out here on the West Coast, just to watch it, but it was definitely worth it. The Houston Rockets literally ran the same play every time up the floor the entire game. Maybe I'm being dishonest by saying the same play, the same concept they were running every single time up the floor. Do you know what that is? Well, if you watch the game, you do. This is what the Rockets do every time they have the ball. They isolate James Harden at the top of the key. They let him dribble off some time. They dribble off a substantial portion of the shot clock. They either screen for him at the top of the key or or set up a fake screen at the top of the key. And then Harden either drives to the hoop, pulls up, or kicks it out. We saw that every single possession the Rockets had where they were playing their half-court offense. That's their half-court offense. That's all they do. Look, I'm not saying there isn't a time to play ISO basketball. But, look, the Rockets didn't... They won that game last night because the Warriors, they were outmatched physically, but they're almost always outmatched physically. I mean, you have to keep them from shooting well from beyond the arc, and they didn't shoot well from the on the arc last night. They shot 27%. That's why the Rockets won. Not because James Harden is an amazing point guard. He is an amazing point guard. He's very talented. He also turns the ball over a lot, and he's one-dimensional. Okay? Look, triple doubles do not make you a versatile player, especially if you run an offense that runs an iso play to you every single time up the floor, which the Rockets do. 
Look, you see the Oklahoma City Thunder do this all the time with Westbrook. But at least with OKC, there's some variation offensively because Billy Donovan, I think, is a better coach than Mike D'Antoni. I can't believe Mike D'Antoni still has a job after what happened with the New York Knicks. I, I still can't believe it. And he's got a lot of great offensive players, and their defense has looked better. Their defense is poorly coached, but they have a lot of good defenders on that team. And it's made the Rockets look better than I actually think they are. But <laughs> if the Houston Rockets want to win a seven-game series in the NBA playoffs, running an ISO play to James Harden every single time up the floor is not going to win. It might win you one or two games against the Warriors if they're having an off-night shooting. But they don't have those off-nights very often. All right, Even when the Cavs were, like I said... This is how you beat the Warriors. You, you, you play physical basketball and make them shoot under 37%. The Cavs still had difficulty, even when they were winning those games at the end of the NBA Finals, keeping the Warriors under that 37% threshold. I think they even won a game or two, or one of those games, I think they were above 37% from beyond the arc, and the Cavs still somehow pulled it out. But it's this isn't a style of basketball that wins games. If you watch the Cleveland Cavaliers play on offense... Yes, they run ISO plays to LeBron a lot because he's LeBron James, but that isn't their only offense. And and the Golden State Warriors, they don't even really run many isolation plays. They run them occasionally to Durant because of the mismatches they can get. But for the most part, they they have a ro- they have this sort of rotating offense that revolves around the perimeter, and, and it, it's very effective, and that's why the Warriors are as good as they are, and they've been able to adjust pretty well with Kevin Durant out there, despite their lack of size right now. I'm not saying Durant's not a big guy, but he's not he's not a physical bruiser out there. We all know that. But as for Mike D'Antoni, the NBA has been around for 70 years, and the best offense for apparently one of the NBA's best offensive masterminds the best offense D'Antoni can come up with is to isolate your star point guard every single time up the floor. Look, the Warriors have a lot of issues to worry about, but do not worry about the Houston Rockets if you're a Warriors fan. Your team just didn't play very well last night, and that happens. It's a long 82-game season. And let's see how long an ISO-only offense can last for 82 games and then into the postseason. Don't buy into the Rockets hype just yet. So, a uh, sloppy Thursday night football game last night. That's, that's kind of become the norm. You know, when teams are on short weeks, they don't tend to play their best. And all, oftentimes, schemes are a bit oversimplified. Uh, but regardless of a, the sloppy game that the Dallas Cowboys played, they still won. They won 17-15 to over the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, and... It, it wasn't a great game for Dak Prescott. He turned the ball over two times. Uh, neither were picks, but both were fumbles. He made a made a lot of mental mistakes. But again, Cowboys still won the game. 
Look, Dallas hasn't always played well this season. They underperformed against Minnesota and Philadelphia, and they certainly made a good amount of mistakes against Washington, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh. Those weren't perfect games by any means. But again, what did the Cowboys do? They still won the game. In fact, I think Dallas should really be undefeated because they know how to win close games, and for some reason they didn't win that close game in Week 1 against the New York Giants in a game where I I really thought they outplayed New York. Um, But they learned from their mistakes, clearly. This is a really good football team. Even when this team is sucking up, they still find ways to win. Now, what do you think that tells you about the Dallas Cowboys? Look, I'm going to ignore the surge of rookies Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott. They've been great, don't get me wrong, and I've talked about them enough. But they probably get more credit than they deserve. If you're a Cowboys fan, you probably believe that. You, I think the hype for Elliott and Dak Prescott, I buy into it, certainly, but let's be real here. It's that offensive line. That's why the Cowboys are winning. It's the offensive line. I've been listening a lot to Michael Lombardi a lot lately. He's a brilliant football mind, former general manager. Uh, most recently was an assistant to Bill Belichick. He's now an NFL analyst. You know, you just got to listen to the smart people who really know football. Turn off ESPN. ESPN makes you stupid. It really does. It does not make you smart. But if you listen to smart NFL analysts like Michael Lombardi. Look, ESPN hires a bunch of wide receivers to give analysis, which is great, but it's a one-dimensional position, and and sometimes wide receivers don't seem to understand the team as a whole, and that's part of the reason ESPN doesn't have great NFL analysts, and the best quarterbacks, they hire a Matt Hasselbeck and Trent Dilfer. But if you listen to someone who really knows what they're talking about, which I believe Michael Lombardi does... This is what he says about the Cowboys. He says they keep themselves from losing first before they try to win. Now, I know that sounds cliche, but it's not. We all know quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends. They win teams' games because they're the ones who put the points on the board. But they can't do that if the opportunities aren't there. And man, does that Dallas offensive line create a lot of opportunities. I started doing something this week, and I've never done it before because I never played football, which maybe maybe in your mind erases all credibility for anything I'm saying. But I've watched football since I was four or five years old. But I started for the first time ever this week. I started to watch game film. And if you have NFL now, it's great. You can watch coaches' film for every game, skip the pause between plays. You can watch an entire game in 20 minutes without hearing Chris Collinsworth mention the fundamentals every five seconds. But I've been watching two teams very closely on this game film. I'm watching the Dallas Cowboys and the Green Bay Packers, and the Patriots, because they're they're my team. But I'm trying to get an idea of why Dallas' O-line is so good, and I'm also trying to understand Aaron Rodgers and the time that he gets to throw if if he's able to find the receivers quickly. He did a good job this past week of getting rid of the ball quickly, which Rodgers has trouble with. But uh, talking about the Cowboys here, I compare the two O-lines because Dallas and Green Bay both have strong offensive lines. And both buy a ton of time for their quarterbacks. 
But the difference between Dallas and Green Bay's O-line is pretty simple. Dallas has much bigger guards and tackles, and they're more athletic, too. And what they do is they create running gaps against even the best defenses. It's easy to forget, some of the defenses Dallas has played this season are top-notch. They beat Minnesota. Yesterday, they beat Minnesota. They beat Philadelphia, and they beat Baltimore. None of those three games were pretty, but the Cowboys won because that offensive line was able to mitigate the pass rush of those teams and certainly create create gaps for Ezekiel Elliott. So it doesn't matter who Dallas is playing. It really doesn't. And this is why I think they're the overwhelming Super Bowl favorite, uh, in my mind at least right now. What they do, what Dallas does so well because they can run the ball so effectively and because they can buy so much time for their quarterback, is they can beat any team in the league because they control the time of possession. Which, when you're going against some of the league's best offenses and you can keep them off the field, that's everything you need right there. In the playoffs or the Super Bowl, that's bad news for New England, Oakland, Pittsburgh, Seattle has a solid offense. It's bad news for them. And and really, I think Dallas has a fairly easy path to the Super Bowl now. I I just I don't see enough consistency out of teams in the NFC East, which is the strongest division right now. Something I never thought I'd say. Uh, so really, their only roadblock is the Seattle Seahawks in the postseason. I really believe that for the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, they'll have a home game. And Seattle's a consistent team that's able to win on the road. Uh, they won in Foxborough. If they can win in Foxborough, they can win in Dallas. But, I mean, if the Cowboys can get past, past Seattle, uh, which I think they probably will because of their ability to control time of possession, even even against good defenses, uh, they're a mismatch in the Super Bowl. They really are. They match up very well to New England, to Oakland, to Pittsburgh, Teams that kind of have these weak defenses. I mean, New England, Oakland, and Pittsburgh are all teams that have great offenses, but are they going to be able to do anything against that offensive line at Dallas if they play them in the Super Bowl? I don't know. I just, the time of possession is a real issue for for teams going up against Dallas. Now, I think if somehow the Broncos make the Super Bowl again, or, or Kansas City, that might be a tougher matchup for the Cowboys, but... I think that's less likely to happen. I think it's going to be either New England or Oakland, potentially Pittsburgh. Uh, Even without Gronk, I think the Patriots are probably the favorite in the AFC. But Dallas matches up very well with everyone they face. Only Seattle is the real roadblock for them in the postseason. And watch Dallas' defense, too. They're not great. They're young. They're inexperienced. But they've slowly climbed up to fifth overall in points per game allowed. Probably because they're well-rested. They're barely on the field. That's all you need to know right there. This is a really good football team, and and if you're not picking the Dallas Cowboys right now to be your Super Bowl favorite, then you're being dishonest with yourself.
So it is that time of the week again. Time for me to make my NFL Week 13 picks. I'll give you the lines, my predictions. Uh, in, it, I went 10 and 3 last week. So if you're looking to make some easy money, uh, I actually I wouldn't suggest it this week. This is a much more difficult week to pick games. A lot of really interesting matchups. I'm I'm actually pretty excited about a lot of the games this week. Like I said, 10 and 3 last week. I don't think I'll ever do better than that. Uh, but let's start with uh, one of the first games. Kansas City versus Atlanta. The Falcons, they're five and a half point favorites. Uh, Chiefs on the road. This is a tough pick. Kansas City is coming off a big win on the road against Denver. However, they're playing a team that is the polar opposite of the Broncos this week. Offensively, Atlanta has only scored under 30 points once at home this season. Just once. And that was week one when they lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So they've, they've worked out whatever offensive kinks they had in week one. They score a lot of points at home. And I'm just not sure Kansas City's offense can keep up. I'm picking the Falcons to win that game by a touchdown. Next up, we have Detroit versus New Orleans. I Look, Vegas is giving New Orleans a six-point advantage in this game. And usually if that happens, they're... There's something going on there, but I I still think this is an easy pick. Matthew Stafford has done a lot with a little his whole career, and we're just starting to take notice in this right now uh, because Calvin Johnson's not on the team. Uh, but a lot of his development this season, the Lions, the reason they've been able to win is because of that offensive line. I'm sorry, you you might be annoyed if you're not a big fan of offensive lines, but you can't defend your turf if you don't have a big enough wall to defend it. And, like, New Orleans defense is a bottom three. The only teams that are worse defensively than New Orleans are San Francisco and um, Cleveland. So, I I think Matthew Stafford's going to have no trouble picking apart that defense. I'm taking the points and the victory for the Detroit Lions. Next up, we got the LA Rams versus the New England Patriots. Uh, obviously, picking the Rams to win this game is a really dumb decision, even without Gronk out there. But a 13-point favorite against New England's defense, despite their effectiveness in the red zone... I mean, New England does have a good red zone defense, but they're 14th in the league in yards given up. They're right in the middle. And Jared Goff, although inexperienced, he's been shown these last couple weeks to make a, make a few big vertical plays. Look, Patriots are going to win this game, but I'm taking the points for the Rams. Next up, Denver, three-and-a-half-point favorites on the road against the Jacksonville Jaguars. You're probably wondering why the Broncos are only a a three-and-a-half-point favorite. And as of this moment right now, they're a a three-and-a-half-point favorite. That will likely change. I think the gap's actually going to get a little closer. It might be more around one-and-a-half points uh, because Paxton Lynch is starting. Trevor Simeon is out with an injury. Uh, Look, first off, Denver's on the road. The reason why this is not... An easy matchup for the Broncos. They're on the road, and Jacksonville doesn't have an awful defense. They've given up a lot of points, but they're six in the league in yards allowed. That's not a good look for Paxton Lynch in that offense that really doesn't do much on the road. They haven't done much on the road this season. So chances are this is going to be a low-scoring game, but I don't know if the Jags can even score on Denver's defense. So despite everything I just said, I'm still picking Denver, and I'll eat the points. Houston, Texans on the road at Lambeau Field, Green Bay Packers, six-and-a-half-point favorites. 
Uh, Green Bay's defense and Aaron Rodgers' decision-making has caused the Packers a lot this season, and because of this, they're probably not going to make the playoffs. That being said, both looked really good last week. They looked much better against Philadelphia, and Rodgers seems to have learned how to get rid of the football quickly and not always let his offensive line do the dirty work. But the reason I'm picking Green Bay to win, I'm picking Green Bay despite the 6.5 points, I do not trust Brock Osweiler. I don't trust Brock Osweiler to watch my dog, much less command an NFL offense. I'm taking the Packers in a blowout. Philadelphia visiting Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals are a one and a half point favorite, despite their three seven and one record. People, for some reason, still think Cincinnati's a good team, and Andy Dalton's a great quarterback. I'll, I'll be honest, I was kind of ignorant going into the season. I was like, oh, Andy Dalton's a great quarterback. He's got really good receivers. That offense just kind of copycats the Patriots, and I think teams have figured that out. Defense is, isn't great. Look, I, I know Philadelphia has come back to reality these last few weeks. They got off to a hot start. But for the life of me, I do not know how the Cincinnati Bengals are favored to win this game. I'm picking the Eagles. Uh, they're probably going to win in a blowout. Miami visiting the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, this is going to be a fun one. Uh, this game will tell us whether or not Miami Dolphins are for real or not. That old line has helped create a balanced attack. Uh, sorry, I can't talk right now. That offensive line for Miami has created a real balanced attack, and I think you have to owe that to great coaching. And they've also minimized Ryan Tannehill taking too many chances. He's a quarterback that made, has made a lot of stupid throws over the years. If you've been watching the Dolphins lately, Tannehill doesn't really take those chances because of the way that offensive line is playing and the way they've managed to balance it with a running game. And Jay Ajayi is a good running back. I think Baltimore could win this game because they have an incredible pass rush. But I'm going to take the points for Miami. Next up, San Francisco versus Chicago. This game is a pick'em. A lot of people are going to pick the Bears. Everyone thinks San Francisco is a nightmare of a team, but I'm picking the Niners. Look, I've been watching the Niners' offense pretty closely the last couple of weeks. They've been getting better and better. It's the defense that's the issue, but you have to remember, San Francisco's D is going up against Matt Barkley at quarterback and. uh for some reason, the sports media is encouraged about Mar- Matt Barkley. I don't know if they've ever actually seen Matt Barkley play. Niners are finally going to get that second win they've been looking for since week two of the season. Buffalo visiting the Oakland Raiders. Got lots of good games this week. And I've gone back and forth on whether or not I think this will be an upset. And three-point favorite isn't much of an upset if Buffalo is able to win. Uh, but Bills have a great running game. Passing is solid. Tyrod Taylor's a good quarterback. This could be an upset uh, because of Oakland's defense. They're bottom five, at least. Uh, the game will come down to Buffalo's defense, though. That's my real prediction. Look, they're coming off of uh, two two impressive performances, but uh, Buffalo struggled against good offenses like New England, Seattle, and Miami. And, you know, wins against Cincinnati and Jacksonville defensive wins against those teams aren't much to brag about. Like we saw against New England, Seattle, and Miami, Buffalo's defense is suspect. I'm going to pick the Raiders, but this is definitely a game to watch out for. New York Giants, 8-3. and three. 
They're a six-point underdog visiting Pittsburgh. Well, clearly, Vegas understands the Giants aren't a team worthy of an 8-3 and record. I know they've won five straight games, but those were against... These are the teams they beat. Baltimore, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Cincinnati, Chicago, and Cleveland. Actually, that's six straight. That er, Yeah, that's six straight. They've won six straight games. But, again, Baltimore, L.A., Philadelphia, Cincinnati, Chicago, and Cleveland... The way I look at it, only one of those teams is halfway decent. That's the Baltimore Ravens. And when they played the Giants, they weren't the team they are now. Like, Giants' pass rush is improving, but that defense is still weak. They don't know how to run the ball. I wouldn't bet against Big Ben's offense in Pittsburgh in December, even if their defense sucks. They're still going up against New York's horrible offensive line. They've been trying to put that offensive line together for a long time, and it just hasn't worked out. I'm picking the Pittsburgh and eating the points. Washington visiting the Arizona Cardinals is an intriguing matchup, and I'm really looking forward to this game. A lot of good ones this week, like I said, but Arizona has a great defense and an underperforming offense. I think they'll move on from Carson Palmer at the end of the season, so you know he's going to have a chip on his shoulder uh, entering this game, but I'm going to pick Arizona. I love Kirk Cousins. I do don't think he'll be able to score in the red zone against that defense. Kirk Cousins and the Redskins offense, they've shown they can move the ball, but they just can't seem to score touchdowns. If you have Washington's field goal kicker, by the way, in fantasy football, you're probably having an incredible season because they just can't score in the red zone, and they're going up against the Arizona Cardinals defense. Some say they're the best in the league. That's why on the road, I'm picking Washington to lose this game, which is essentially a pick Arizona will probably win by about a touchdown. Tampa Bay visiting the San Diego Chargers. Chargers, three-and-a-half-point favorites. I've jumped on the Bucks bandwagon after two big wins. They went on the road against Kansas City and shockingly beat Seattle last week. But despite that, they're still underdogs on the road against San Diego. Now, I say this every week. I've said the Chargers are the greatest below 500 team in the history of the NFL. They just play in a tough division. But Tampa Bay's biggest problem is Jameis Winston's poor decision making. That's really what is what that's really what makes or breaks a lot of their games is he just doesn't make smart decisions a lot of the time. But there is no denying Winston's talent and improvement that he's made that his this season. And he's going up against the 20th ranked defense in yards and San Diego's 24th in points allowed. Uh, And don't let me forget about Tampa Bay's defense going up against the turnover-prone Chargers. I'm picking the Bucs. I think this one's a no-brainer. Carolina visiting Seattle. The Seahawks are seven-point favorites. Look, Panthers are a better team than their 4-7 and record indicates. They just don't know how to win close games. You know, all those blowouts last year really did Carolina a disservice. It's come back to bite them in the ass this season. It really has. And, you know, this could be a 7-14, and 14, the Panthers, uh, but they just can't seem to close. Seattle is my favorite to win this game, no doubt. They always seem to bounce back after tough losses, but I'm taking the points for Carolina. They won in Seattle last year. They can at least keep it close this year. And like I said, Carolina's lost a lot of close games. They're a better team than 4-7, and seven, but they do have a 4-7 and seven record because they can't close. Seven points is too much. I'm taking the Panthers there. And finally, the Monday night football game that nobody will watch. The Indianapolis Colts, one and a half point favorites visiting the New York Giants. I'm picking the Colts despite all of their issues. 
Here's why. The Jets historically rise up against the New England Patriots. They did it last week. Uh, they didn't win, but they they played above expectations. But there's always something that happens after the Jets play the Patriots. Bill Belichick exposes something. This happens every team that plays the Patriots. They, they never seem to win the following week, even if they can somehow upset New England the week before, because Belichick exposes something. And I think Indiana, uh, Indianapolis will take advantage of that. Fitzpatrick will throw three picks, and the media will deceptively tell you Indianapolis has cleaned up their defense. Don't be fooled. The Jets just aren't a very good team. So that's it for today's podcast. Um, I'm off next week. I have a 5,000 word paper to write and a final to prepare for. I really got to get on that. I'm going to be filming some evergreens because I'll be taking some time off this month, uh, but still be putting up videos. Uh, And uh, after next weekend, I'll be back the following Monday, do three straight podcasts. Uh, It'll be a good time. Uh, But until then, I bid you adieu.